Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. Right. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. No prison. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter, and I'm a broker at StoneX. I specialize in grain and oil seeds, and the team around me here in Chicago, we have experts in the energy markets, uh, protein and livestock, interest rates, fertilizer, um, the currency markets, plastics. Uh, if you have any questions for me or what we do here at StoneX, my number is 312-706-7610, or you can reach me at craig.turner at stonex.com. All my contact information is in the show notes, and you can also visit us at www.turnerstake.com. Oh, and follow me on Twitter. I have been, uh, I've been a lot more active, and that's at turners underscore take. So let's, uh, let's get into it here. We're going to start off, as always, with the macro markets. Number one, the United States Federal Reserve um, basically came out and had their interest rates steady. So we're at five and a quarter to five and a half. That's the Fed overnight rate. Puts, you know, so that kind of puts mortgage rates probably around seven, seven and a half, something like that um, for the 30 year. That was as expected. I think what the market was really trying to pay attention to, though, or focusing on what did the Fed say about future rates, because they do give some guidance there. And they said that interest rates will be, they want interest rates above 5% for the next 15 months, basically until the, through the end of 2024, the rest of 2023, right through 2024. And then as they fight inflation, because they want inflation, inflation to be you know somewhere around 2%. I think if we got to between two and three percent, the Fed would be very happy. And right now we're still around four percent. Um, we've actually seen some uptick uh, from July and August, not just the United States. We also saw some uptick in Canada, went from about three point three to four percent, I want to say also. So and a lot of that had to do with energy, but energy is still a cost. And we're seeing after the reversal of we've been seeing interest rate, we've been seeing inflation come down for a while here. But we're still in this three and a half to a little bit over four that central banks don't like to see. Um, we'll have another update from the Fed, I want to say, in a month. Same with Bank of Canada. So we'll get an idea of what's going on here in North America. Both of those central banks have kind of been working in concert along with the Bank of England, but certainly Bank of Canada and the Fed. So whichever one talks first, you can kind of get an idea of what the other one is thinking, too. I don't think they, I don't know. It's just my opinion. It seems like they follow each other fairly closely. Um, so that's where we are on the interest rates. The market didn't like it. Stocks sold off. Energy sold off a little bit, but energy crude rebounded pretty fast. The stock market definitely sold off. They didn't like the idea of having interest rates this high. It also rallied the dollar, and that is not great for exports here in the United States. So we saw the commodity markets come down also. 
uh, especially the ones that are listed in the U.S. So that is that is the Fed. They're not going to raise interest rates, it sounds like. If they do, it might be a quarter point. But what they want to do is they want to keep rates higher for longer. And just remember this one point. It's all about the real interest rate now. And the real interest rate is the Fed funds rate minus the rate of inflation. So if we're at five point, if we're at five and a half and inflation's at three and a half, then the real interest rate is at 2%. And I think the Fed likes that at the moment. Now, when interest rates get down to, when inflation gets down to 2% and the Fed funds rates at two and a half and you actually have a positive real interest rate of maybe a half a percentage, I think that's where the Fed ultimately wants to be and it's going to take time to get there. So outlook is choppy for the stock market as they digest this information and we'll get to the energies in a little bit. But before we get to energy and grain, I do want to talk a little bit about China. There's been some news that came out this week. I was uh, tweeting about it too and put in the newsletter. Uh, the Fed, it was at the U.S. Federal Reserve, I'm sorry, it's the Dallas Federal Reserve came out with a report, and they are, each Federal Reserve tracks different things. And the one of the things that the Dallas Federal Reserve tracks is trading partnerships uh, with different countries. And they've been tracking the United States and showing, they have a chart there showing that China had been the largest trading partner of the United States. And then since the tariff war, that started to reverse, and especially with COVID. And what has happened is now Mexico is the number one trading partner of the United States. Canada is right there. They're really neck and neck. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you can see a situation where they're just jockeying for position every month. It's so close or every time they run that report. But China's definitely a third and starting to be coming to a distant third, and the trend is going lower. We are seeing China, and you can see it in the grain and oilseed markets. China wants to buy as much corn and soybeans from Brazil as possible. Before the Russian-Ukraine war, they signed that Black Sea deal with Ukraine, probably because they wanted to buy, you know, let's face it, they wanted to get wheat and corn from Ukraine. They wanted to get soybeans and corn from Brazil. Then anything left over, they wanted to come to the United States. And that is that is a trend. And it's not just in commodities like that. There is there is now a shift away from China, not just the United States, but globally um, because of IP protection um, and a lot of other things that happens on like the manufacturing side. Keep in mind, China isn't the low-cost provider of labor anymore. Um, labor costs have, have increased. Uh, number two, I there is when it comes to inf, you know when it comes to IT or intellectual property, there are issues there. That was supposed to be the they were supposed to try to figure that out all in the second part of of the trade deal that Trump was trying to put together. And really, what and since nothing really got done, what we're seeing is foreign investment is just leaving China. So since it's been recorded. Foreign investment in China falls to lowest level on record. This is a, a recent headline here that I was at, that I was looking at. But you know, they've been tracking these numbers since 1998, and it's we're now at the lowest we've seen. It's probably just going to continue to drop. There's also some of the most sensitive uh, manufacturing that goes on over there, like 
like chips, computer chips and stuff like that, which, you know, I mean, limited everything from, you know, availability of phones and cars, computers, anything with a microchip in it. You're seeing these subsidies come out from the United States and the United States Congress just put in um, something like it was like a $52 billion bill to to basically help subsidize and kick up manufacturing of those types of chips um, and outside of China, primarily in the United States. And to, and there's also rules in there where it can't be a Chinese owned company, right? So there are some, so it's not just China buying their commodities from South America and Ukraine and come to the United States last. There's this whole other part of it that's going on in foreign investment and technology and intellectual property, which isn't making it into the press that often. That's going on the other side. And you see the United States and some of the developed worlds kind of fighting on that front. So it is interesting. What does it mean for corn and soybeans and wheat and canola? I think that you know, when I take a look, it looks like China will probably buy from Australia canola if they can instead of Canada. That's just the way it looks right now. And then on the, you know, we just went over the wheat, soybeans, and corn. And that's kind of how it is in these lines are being drawn. We'll keep on following this, but it is, it's an underreported part of international finance and exports and imports right now that I think we need to keep an eye on. Because China's population is, China's population is declining. And now there's foreign investment coming out of there. And the numbers, and you know, they have these real estate problems. And it's uh, you know everyone. Whenever I go to a conference or I'm on a panel, you know one of the one of the questions towards the end is, hey, you know what's a potential black swan? And I don't. We just need to keep an eye on this China situation. So that's all we'll that's all we'll talk about now. See how that develops. All right, energy. So in the midst of the market selling off with the Federal Reserve and keep in the stock market selling off and the market concerned about growth and interest rates higher for longer. Put that in quotes, higher for longer. That's what's been going on in the press here. Energy recovered fast. And energy is usually the one that gets, especially uh, crude oil, that's the one that usually gets hit the hardest when you have changes in expectations of economic growth. Yet that that came back the first, the fastest, which just means, and we've been looking to buy a break in the energy. So that just means to me the market is very sensitive to the energy when you the basically energy supply when you take a look at supply and demand what we have in terms of days of supply capacity investment thing into into production um, it's it still tends to be bullish for for the crude oil market I would the 20-day moving average in December crude is right around 85 and three quarters, 86. I still would rather see a pullback in there before getting in again. But crude oil market, heating oil, heating oil looks bullish. We, there is there is concerns about diesel this year, and if there's going to be a shortage, and do we have the refining capacity to meet the demand? So all that, and we're already at high prices. So that needs to be watched too. I think that if we do get big pullbacks though, um, from the spec side, it looks interesting. And also 
uh, if you are a user of those commodities, you may have to be looking for coverage on you know, anything, any kind of like a 5% uh, re pullback or, or more. Finally, I want to go over just the energy market. So we're still bullish on the crude oil market. Uh, on Oh, and I also like, and I've been writing about this, but I do, there are option plays in June crude that I like. If you get the newsletter, you're a client, um, you want to go over it. There are some very interesting, I think some very interesting June crude, June 2024 crude oil plays that I'm, you know, that I'm, that we should all talk about. All right. Finally, corn, soybeans, wheat, canola. We are in the thick of harvest for soybeans and corn right now in the United States. The farmers for the soybeans are just, they're all out there now. You know, corn is, we'll see how far we are in the, in the next report, but there's been a lot of corn. There's been enough corn harvested to realize that there's no crop disaster out there. We'll see if the USDA lowers yields just a little bit uh, on the soybeans. Everyone's just getting out now. Wouldn't be surprised if soybean yields are a little bit lower than what the USDA says. Somewhere between 49 and 50 wouldn't shock me, but you know, the, we are seeing this from the converse. I've said this last week and the week before from the conversations I have with farmers. It's still the same. Going to sell those, sell the soybeans, store the corn. You can't store everything. They do need to um, make some profits here. And I got to tell you, when you take a look at South America, um, we're going to probably, I think Conab came out recently and had corn acres lower. Uh, which is interesting because in in Brazil, farmland is actually expanding, right? Not like in the United States and Canada, where farmland is actually contracting. Um, in Brazil, farmland actually increases. So to see a decrease in expected corn acres and and also to see the um, soy probably the soybean acres increase, corn decrease, I think. I, th I think that there's a good reason to maybe store corn here if you're a U.S. farmer. Like, I get it. Like, you you got the $13 soybeans. That's probably a pretty good price for new crop. If things, if you get weather issues this year in South America, it may be old when new crop becomes old crop and go to $14, $15 on either Chinese demand coming to the United States. Plus, you know, if El Nino has, it causes some issues. Like, I, I can see that. I also see a lower corn lower corn acres and then lower corn production out of South America. And with the price relationship here in the United States, you can see more soybean acres over corn next year. So there is, you know, that's probably the right strategy. You know, on papers, purely from an economist's point of view, you sell the beans, you hold the corn. And if you, if you want to be bullish on, on beans this winter, you know, we do something in the in the options market, futures and options market. So I like that. Same thing with canola. I think canola could get a bump here if, if, if South America has weather issues. There's no reason to think canola goes to 400 or 500 a ton on the board or, you know, 11, 12, $13 a bushel. But the canola crop is, we're farther along in canola harvest. So basically think, you know, instead of 17 and a half million metric tons, that's, that's Canada saying, we're probably closer to uh, 18 or a little bit. And you've seen that in the market. Also, the demand stinks right now for a lot of these commodities. All, Russia has just owned the wheat market 
Australia has been a big player in canola. Brazil has been a massive player in corn and soybeans. So not a whole, a whole lot of demand has not been coming to, to North America. What will change eventually is Brazil, even, even though they had monster crops, they can't sell it forever. And they're probably getting close to, to exhausting their, their exports. Russia is keeping about a 270 per ton price minimum, which where Chicago soft red winter wheat is now isn't too far away from being competitive. And, you know, eventually Russia, you know, eventually Russia stops their sales of wheat too. And same, and Australia eventually will not have the canola, you know, they're the end of their export marketing season will end too. So in the next couple of months, we should see more export demand. It's just, it's not if, it's just when. And the, the problem there is if it, the later and later it gets, the lower the export estimates will be. So um, we're already off to a slow pace on on corn and soybeans. And it's early for U.S., but we are at a slow pace uh, in the United States. I haven't looked at the Canadian numbers. Finally, spring wheat harvest is pretty much wrapped up here in the United States. It isn't yet in Canada. They're still going. But, uh, you know, when you take a look at things all told, high protein wheat, Kansas City and and spring wheat are going to be tight and they deserve a premium. I don't think they deserve $10, but they're not going back to $5 either anytime soon. So those markets likely remain elevated. The view is still the same. We're going to be tight in the beans for another six months. We're going to be tight on high protein wheat. Looks like we're going to be fairly good on corn and soft red winter wheat. However, we are getting to places now with corn and soft red winter wheat where it could be competitive on the global export market. So even though those are the most well supplied, we can actually make, make maybe even start getting some export demand there too. So finally, looking forward, big picture, because of the way pricing is in South America, more soybean acres, less corn, have a threat of El Nino. The the selling of the beans and the storing of the corn makes sense. I think because we could have some weather issues here in South America and we're still fighting some tightness in the global market, re-ownership or spec plays on the long side makes sense once we get into the once we get into planting in South America. For now, I've been talking a lot about short straddles on corn just because I think we're range bound. There's no reason to rally. There's also no reason to crater either at the moment. So I still like that. That's a strategy we did last year um, that I thought went well. And on a year where we think we're going to be adequate to burden some supplies, we'll do that. Uh, on the corn for the farmers out there, for corn, wheat, and soybeans, you are starting to put into marketing plans for 2024. That includes cash sales, which you can use StoneX for if you like. That also includes um, setting some of these targets and going through the supply and demand tables and having a realistic range of where prices could be. Uh, to get that information, you got to come to my client webinars. You got to be a client here. And uh, for those that want one-on-one -on -one attention to their to their, uh, to their their operation, I also offer uh, consulting services and happy to go over that. It's, uh, it's very reasonable. And um, I think it really helps people understand why the market's trade the way they do and how we can have a little bit more 
and I'm just going based off ag Twitter here, but just have a little bit more, let me put it this way, be a little bit more reasonable if possible price ranges and why we why we feel that way. And um, so if you're interested in that, please let me know. From the end user side, I mean, now's the time to load up on corn. And for soybeans, you can still go hand to mouth, which especially on the meal side, soybean oil is still the most bullish long-term story. Now in terms of prices and when demand picks up is one thing, but with all the crush capacity and the fact when you look at the energy markets and how much money the United States and Canada and other places around the world are putting into renewables and renewable biodiesel is going to be a big, big part of that. I just think the the soybean oil market from starting two years ago, going out to the next three years could look like what corn was in 2007 to 2012 with the ramp up of what we use corn for ethanol. So I still like bean oil. It's going to be a choppy ride. And when I do talk to people about it, we're not always buying the futures. My, my, when it comes to a market like that and you got a long-term strategy, so like for crude and for soybean oil, my, I've always used the options, limited risk ways to play these markets for the long haul. And I still, I, I'm still doing that. So um, if you're a client there or you've been trading on your own, or you've been in futures, soybean oil and crude, I think are more of um, more of option plays. Um, and there are ways to structure trades to have you know, lower, lower premiums, limited risk, limited margin. And still take and still give these markets time to develop because they do have some very interesting long-term demand fundamentals going on there. So that is it for the week. If you want to talk with me, my number is 312-706-7610. We'll be having the client webinar next year, next week on Wednesday. If you're a client, please attend. I'll also tape it, but we're going to be going over more of our our price ranges for 2024 and what we're thinking on the energy on the energy markets. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. If you know someone who likes podcasts and green and oilseed podcasts, please pass it along. And um, and yeah, uh, have a good weekend, everyone, and I'll talk to you soon. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniels Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniels Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www.danielstrading.com. Daniels Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniels Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.